0: Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thank you so much. Recently, the uh, County Board of Supervisors named our interim sheriff. His name is Russ Skinner. He joins us right now. Sheriff, welcome to the show. It's good to talk with you.
1: Well, good morning, Mr. Broomhead. Thank you for having me and uh, certainly appreciate you taking the the time.
0: Listen, it's important. I think it's important for everybody to hear from you. You know, you are the chief law enforcement officer in in the county, um, and I know it's on an interim basis and you're running for the office, which we'll get to, but I want to talk about the office itself. Are there changes you are going to make in this interim position or is it maintaining what's happening at the sheriff's office while you're there?
1: Well, I'll say it's neither. Actually, you know, we continue to evaluate and provide progressive law enforcement services. Uh, can't sit here and just, uh, you know, keep it uh, uh, keep it on cruise control by any means. Um, our, we have a very dynamic uh, valley uh, that we serve and uh, our community members. So we have to make sure we're on the pulse of that and make sure that we're monitoring that and appropriately uh, applying uh, law enforcement services or, or custody services for the community members out there. Um, I'm Looking forward to continuing to, uh, you know, just be progressive with that and uh, answer the call to uh, duty here.
0: I don't think people, um, a lot of people really understand that the sheriff's office is kind of a, a lot like DPS in the sense that your deputies patrol some of the most densely urban areas, but you also patrol very uh, rural areas as well. That diversity, is that is that a good thing for the agency or is it a challenge to the agency?
1: No, I think it's a good thing. Obviously, the, the valley has grown quite a bit. Even our um, rural areas have now um, certainly seen a, a spike in population increase in infrastructure. So we are more of a modern, uh, well, I'll say uh, more of a urban uh, sheriff's office than we were years ago when I started. But there are some remote areas. We also do contract law enforcement services for some of the smaller towns and cities um, that incorporate. And uh, it's actually a better uh, cost for them to hire hire that out or contract with an agency so we have several of those as well.
0: One of the conversations we've had quite often is about the potential for DOJ oversight in the city of Phoenix with the investigation that's going on and we understand that the county is under, you know, a monitor right now and has been long before you were the sheriff uh, or named the sheriff. Uh, how are you dealing with that and can you give us an update on where the sheriff's department is with oversight?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, actually, I uh, was uh, transferred into a, the Court Implementation Division for the Sheriff's Office back when the order was issued on the office, and that was in October of 2013. So from the ground up, I've been involved in the process uh, involving the agency, and uh, you know, we continue our efforts forward with it. Uh, ours is much different than a consent decree. I think a lot of times those two kind of get hand-in-hand. Hand. It's similar, but this is actually a federal judge's order on the agency that mandates reforms and uh, also monitors that compliance of it. Um, we're on track as far as um, you know, there's phase one and phase two compliance typically with these orders. Phase one compliance is really doing the policy, writing the policy procedure, delivering the training. And then phase two is, you know, what's actually happening in the field? Is this being complied with by employees? And, you know, really pleased to say in, in the phase one portion, obviously we're very much, you know, 10 years into this. Um, we're 100% compliant with, with both of the first two orders we do have a third order and we're in the the low 90s on what they evaluate each time of our deputies our staff members our detention officers in complying with those policies or you know documenting that stuff
0: we know law enforcement around the country faces and many not everywhere but in many places staffing issues and short staffing is an issue you just talked about the massive growth in maricopa county is it difficult to maintain patrol staffing and the job the sheriff's office has to to do while you have so much of your so much of the resources in the sheriff's department dealing with these issues of compliance.
1: Well, I think, you know, again, all law enforcement agencies are facing the challenges of staffing. And, uh, you know, we try to strategically balance that with um, the mandates. And, you know, a lot of it is the administrative duties. So um, our, mainly at the supervisory levels, they're having to just balance the, the load to make sure that we're meeting the requirements. And, uh, you know, like anything, it's just there, there are tasks that have to be done. And we have to make sure time management's being utilized well, where we have to make sure that, you know, our structured schedules and shifts uh, out there, especially in the patrol facilities and the detention facilities, that there's a, a sufficient coverage to um, respond to the community needs.
0: Maricopa County Sheriff Russ Skinner is joining us. Um, Let's talk about the jails for a moment. Uh, uh, The former Sheriff Penzone implemented machines to scan for drugs being introduced into the facilities, including employees in a different place on the facility, but they're also being monitored. How is that going? Are you seeing a reduction in the amount of uh, drugs that are being introduced into the facilities?
1: Yeah, now, you know, I'll even categorize it as contraband. We want to make sure that contraband isn't coming into the, the jail systems for employee safety and for inmate safety. I will say that uh, we've also rolled out other measures. We have a canine unit now assigned to the intake facilities and actually works uh, with some of the other um, jails that we have. And uh, they both have shown very, very positive results. I won't say it's eradicated it, but it has mitigated it. And, uh, you know, it, it isn't a popular thing, especially, we're talking employees um, but we, we want to ensure the safety moving forward, especially uh, the staff that's in there and those inmates, the, the more we can catch at the front end and hopefully uh, reduce that number coming in. And, you know, we'll still probably see it. Uh, but if we can continue to mitigate it, that's that's what we're looking for.
0: Well, I would I would say an added element to that is the, the overdoses that are happening because of the potency of fentanyl and that people are dying at a much higher rate. And so if you have those in the system, if there's a much higher risk of overdose and Death.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're seeing is, you know, out on the street, uh, a lot of these uh, people that unfortunately wind up in custody, um, they wind up Uh, addicted to fentanyl and they're taking stronger and stronger or more doses of it. So the levels that they're coming in with, um, you know, to bring them back down is really tough. It's tough on the body. And uh, you know, talking to CHS or our partner, there, correctional health services, the doctor even says, Hey, we've seen nothing like this. It really impacts the body. And a lot of these people are, are, you know, putting them in their body cavities and coming into the facility because they're so addicted to it. And, you know, we've seen some examples where, you know, the the container that they had it in uh, ripped, tore, broke, and actually that absorbs into the system. So it's a complex uh, situation, but we we try to stay above it and uh, hit it head on.
0: Um, obviously, this is an election year, and uh, there are a few offices that I believe are nonpartisan. When you get the attorney general's office, it's a nonpartisan job once you're in it. Same with being in the sheriff's office, it's a nonpartisan job, but yet the elections are partisan. Is that something that's troubling to you? Because the job doesn't seem to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, what's troubling to me is uh, again, I'm, I'm not a political person. The people that around me know that never had uh, any accolades or or wasn't even the cards to be a candidate or get into politics. And I find myself in this opportunity. And and the hard part is a lot of people keep focusing on, you know, the, you know, party uh, affiliation and what have you. I'm here to tell you, I'm not one that, uh, you know, R D it does not matter to me. I'm here to deliver the services to the community and hopefully people are looking at who's best to run this agency, who has, experience, who has qualities that can make fair decisions and show um, the leadership as opposed to why is everybody focusing on, you know, political party affiliation. Um, Sheriff's office is just one of those unique, um, you know, job classifications, the sheriff being an elected official. And so there's no place of, of politics in this at all.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but the issue of changing political parties, is that a strategic thing for people? Uh, what is the, what's the reasons behind that?
1: Yeah, I know. And of course, I'm not even aware. I wasn't even aware uh, necessarily that uh, what the requirements were to fulfill a candidate's position when they left. Obviously, the voters um, you know, voted a Democrat in office, uh, Sheriff Pinzone, and uh, that person, you know, they have to fulfill that obligation. Um, I looked into the laws or restrictions re- relative to that just to be able to be a viable candidate, um, somebody from inside the office. You know whether the, the board picked me, whether um, I was able to fulfill the role, that was a decision beyond me. Um, but it shouldn't have any issue or bearing on who's best to lead the office. It's just one of those things that uh, has to align that way. And I look at it this way: I jumped, uh, you know, over to the other party. You know, there was a lot of um, assumptions, perceptions. Nobody really had the conversation with me. But uh, I did it because I care about this agency. I've been here 34 years. I care about the community. My phone blew up, um, you know, just basically in support and encouragement because this agency potentially could have seen two leadership changes in less than a year if we put somebody interim uh, for the appointment and then an election maybe selected somebody else. So I I just wanted to keep the continuity for the agency, especially with the potential contentious election cycle coming up. Um, you know, we've got the spring training, we've got, uh, the final four, there's a lot of things going on in Maricopa County. And all I wanted to do is be at least positioned to get us through the next nine months and keep the employees, uh, you know, on the right direction. Um, you know, we've got retention issues, you know, all law enforcement does somebody else came in here that they didn't agree with the philosophy or they used the office for, you know, maybe their own will for their political you know, campaign. You might've seen a lot of employees leave too, which puts us even more over a barrel.
0: Well, Sheriff, I appreciate the candor in that explanation, and I look forward to talking to you here in the future. I'm sure we're, I hopefully we'll get to do this again uh, during this year.
1: No, I appreciate it. I look forward to talking to you. Family's big fans, viewers. So, thank you for having me on, and uh, certainly here to serve and. Talk about the issues that uh, the the office faces as we move forward.
0: All right. Much appreciated. That's Maricopa County Sheriff Russ Skinner spending a few minutes. Interesting conversation coming up in a moment. Does the First Amendment go too far? Wait to hear the results of this poll. We're going to get to that coming up. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. We're taking notes on how to do it right. That's what's happening here, pal. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Here is a question. There is a poll out by an organization called FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, that finds that almost one-third of the people polled believe that the First Amendment goes too far. More than half agreed that their local community should not allow more than half agreed that their local community should not allow a public speech that espouses a belief they find particularly offensive. Who are these people? I I mean, I, I try not to be offensive. I know that it still happens. There are times you're going to offend people. Um, but it's never my intention. But even if it was, and there are some people that do, you don't have a right to not be offended. If you don't like it, again, change the station. If you don't like the song, change the station. I used to joke with everybody. I know this is an unpopular opinion. Here's where I get offensive when I talk about music. It is an unpopular opinion. I cannot stand the band, the Cranberries, can't stand them. And it's just, I understand they're immensely popular and very talented, can't stand them. If I'm listening to a radio station and a Cranberry song comes on, do I call the radio station and tell them I hate that song? No, I change the station, I listen to something else. And they say, well, that's different than being offended, than somebody saying something offensive. Well, there's a lot of things that are offensive. If you are somebody that is an activist in the LGBTQ community, you're offended by Christianity. On the other side of that, if you're a Christian, you're offended by the activists in the LGBTQ community. Who's right? Who gets to say the other doesn't get to speak? This is crazy to me. These results were disappointing, but not exactly surprising, said their chief of research. Here at Fire we've long observed that many people who say they're concerned about free speech waver when it comes to beliefs they find pers- they personally find offensive. I find flag burning one of the most offensive things you can do. De- desecrating the American flag or the Arizona state flag, I find it offensive. I find it disgusting. I really do. Uh, for a multitude of reasons. I'll tell you a quick story. I talked with, I was talking with the late Senator John McCain one day about the First Amendment. He was in studio with me. And I, I talked to him about that. And I brought that up as a First Amendment thing. And I said, I think it's despicable to burn the flag. I said, um, but I, I recognize that it's someone's right to do it. It's a, it's an expression that's protected under the First Amendment. And he told me this story. He served, uh, as you know, he, was in a, um, a POW camp, the Hanoi Hilton, for a long time, and he was severely injured there, as were many of the people he served with. Uh, there was one of the men he served with that they wore prison uniforms. They were given prison uniforms. And one of the men he served with had sewn an American flag on the inside of his prison uniform. And every night before they ate dinner, everybody would stand and they would recite the Pledge of Allegiance as he would stand in front of everybody and open the flag. And they would pledge allegiance before they ate dinner. And when the prison key, you know, the the the. the people that had them captured, when they found out that he had this in his jacket, they beat him severely and took it from him. And they threw him back in with his group and they nursed this guy back to health. And the first thing that he did when he was healthy enough was sew another American flag on the inside of his prison uniform. So Senator McCain said, I have a different picture of the American flag than many people have. And that story has always stuck with me because those are the kinds of things that how how impassioned would you be? How outraged? would you be if that were you, if you were if you were the late Senator McCain and you had a comrade that was beaten severely because of that flag and he loved the flag so much that when he healed, he he sewed another one inside that uniform. Uh, so to me, it's an offensive thing to do. But I recognize someone has a right to do it. I get offended sometimes by what people say they have a right to say it. This idea that you have a right to not be offended. And the reason why this concerns me is it's becoming a more and more popular thing that we are going to this phrase hate speech. There are plenty of things that people say that are hateful. And there are others that people are just speaking their mind and other people don't like to hear it. So it's labeled as hate speech. First, you call it dangerous. Then you get rid of it. Marginalize it. Call it dangerous. It could lead that that kind of speech could lead to violence. When you say something like that, you might cause somebody else to do something violent. Therefore, you can't say that anymore. That is absolutely a contradiction to what the U.S. Constitution, what the First Amendment is supposed to be. I just look at this study and I'm going to talk more about it later. It is it really surprised me. In a moment, we're going to talk about the Phoenix Police Department. Please, the Phoenix Law Enforcement Association poll talks about the. Possible DOJ oversight and the investigation. I'll give you results next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, walked in heart disease and stroke at the American Heart Association's Phoenix Heart Walk. Every step you take, every dollar raised will help save lives and make our community a healthier place for all. Join the Phoenix Heart Walk Saturday, March 23rd at Wesley Boland Memorial Plaza. Head to the contest page at KTAR.com for more information. You've been So a poll was commissioned, the Phoenix Law Enforcement Association commissioned a poll to find out the the attitudes and feelings of the Phoenix... uh, uh People the citizens of Phoenix, and how they felt about what are the most important issues to them, and then more specifically how they felt about the DOJ investigation. And if you're not familiar with this, a couple over two years ago, this is if not the longest, one of the longest investigations the DOJ has done into a police agency. We know what's happened in Baltimore and in Louisville and others. I think Minneapolis and some others. Um, Oakland was under a consent decree or has been under a consent decree for over twenty years. I don't know how long the. Investigation investigation was, but they've been under a consent decree. And so the DOJ came into Phoenix and they will always say it's never been over one issue, but they came into Phoenix and they began to investigate the police department. Now we don't know anything about this because they don't give you any details of their investigation as it goes on. They just one day drop a report and say, this is why your police agency is horrible. So what they've already done is preliminarily ask the city of Phoenix to give them or say that they will negotiate a consent decree. So this was Uh, They wanted the city of Phoenix to say, even though you haven't seen the report, we want you to agree that when we give you the report, you'll negotiate a consent decree. And Phoenix says, no, we're not going to do that. We don't know what your report's going to say. And they said, can we see it early? And they said, nope, no one gets to see it early unless, of course, you agree to a consent decree. Now, a consent decree is just what it sounds like. The city of Phoenix gives consent to hire a private monitor, which Phoenicians will pay for. And that monitor comes in and overtakes parts of the, if not all, parts of the of the agency, which means the police chief and his command staff, the police chief, the interim police chief is Michael Sullivan, who is an expert, considered an expert nationally on these consent decrees because he worked in Louisville and navigated that system. He worked in Baltimore. He navigated that consent decree in that city. So he was considered an expert, which is why the agency hired him when Chief Jerry Williams decided she was going to retire. So that's a little bit of the history of it. So he has made some changes. And to give Phoenix credit, if you go back decades, the city of Phoenix Police Department has always been a self-correcting agency. I'll give you some details in a moment, but I want to get to this poll. But I wanted to catch you up on what this all means. So we don't have the report from the DOJ. We have no idea what that report's going to find. They haven't dropped it yet. It's been over two years now without a word of what's in it. But are you familiar with it? And what are the top priorities for the for the city? According to this, the number one uh, priority is inflation in the economy. Next is crime and public safety, homelessness, illegal immigration, education, taxes and city spending. They're asking Phoenicians this. Which of the following issues is most most important to you in the election of a mayor in the city of Phoenix? So that's an interesting you know, distinction. For each of the following, have you heard of the organization, have you uh, or whether you have a favorable, unfavorable opinion of them, the Phoenix Police Department, police officers generally, and most people, 67 are very, are favorable, uh, 27.9 are very favorable. So you're looking at a huge percentage of the people in, in Phoenix that see them as a favorable agency. Do you think city uh, has, uh, they, it has increased in the city? Crime has increased, I should say, in the city. People were aware, uh, over 55% say they were aware, uh, 38% say they weren't aware of the DOJ investigation. But get to the meat of this. People... Uh, The end of the investigation support, thinking about the November 2024 municipal elections, would you support or oppose the Department of Justice ending its two-year civil rights investigations of the city's police department through an agreement at which it would take recommendations for changes from the federal agencies, but would not be subject to costly court supervision and oversight? 52%. Strongly support or somewhat support ending the investigation without a consent decree as opposed or somewhat opposed is um, a total of less than 30%. So by uh, a huge margin, the support for ending this without oversight is there. And the reason why this is important is because we know that uh, government involvement in a police agency sometimes is necessary, but it isn't here. I'm going to give you an example. The Department of Justice has now been investigating the Phoenix Police Department for over two years. But if you go back a decade, about a decade, the city of Phoenix Police Department was given an award by the same Department of Justice. Why? Because of their forward thinking when it came to mental health calls. That the Phoenix Police Department and any police agency, police agencies are charged with doing things that it's not a cop's job, but no one else knows what to do. So what do you do? You dial 911, they send the police. Well, sometimes it involves people that are having a mental health uh, breakdown of some kind. There's a mental health issue that's going on police officers aren't equipped to deal with those. They deal in safety. So many of those cases ended violently when a person that's having a mental health break acts violently, hurts themselves, tries to hurt a police officer, tries to hurt an innocent person. And many of those situations were ending badly because violence was being used. Lethal force was being used at times by the police. So the city of Phoenix Police Department came up with a program where they trained not just one, but now they have multiple squads of officers that are specially trained to deal with mental health calls. They were given an award by the Department of Justice for it um the handling of a case that if you weren't here uh President Trump came to downtown Phoenix and there was uh there was a uh, the riot police I can't think of another way of putting it there was an interaction in which pepper balls were used and tear gas was used to disperse a crowd it was later on challenged and turned out to be turned into something that was horrible and negative and what a terrible thing to do and how could you possibly do that there were children there and I thought to myself who in the heck brings a child child to a protest. But I was there, not when the violence happened, but I was there at that event covering it. And I left and was probably half a mile away when I heard the tear gas grenades go off to disperse the crowd. Um and at first, the then mayor, Greg Stanton, was very complimentary of the Phoenix Police Department and how they handled it. And then weeks later, after political pressure, they were going to do an investigation. And all these other things came of this. I want you to know that the um, and I don't know if they still do it, but they used to use it. The State Department used the video of how Phoenix so tactically and so um, accurately kept the crowds apart and handled crowd control, that that video was used in training street department employees that were going overseas to guard embassies and on how to deal with crowd control. That's the Phoenix Police Department. And so they've continued that on now, the use of force policy changes that are coming in the city of Phoenix and all of these things are happening. And they have had a lot more listening sessions with the public. This has been going on going back two or three or four police chiefs in the city of Phoenix. The point is the Phoenicians understand that no one is perfect. They don't have an expectation of perfection, but they do have an expectation of a high standard. And the city of Phoenix Police Department definitely has that. And Phoenicians are saying that. So I love this poll because it tells our city council members, who, by the way, I want to give them a great amount of credit when it comes to this issue, from the city manager to the city attorney, to the city council, and not everyone in the council, but as a body, have been very supportive on the police on this and saying to the Department of Justice, we are not giving over power of our police department. And they should be given credit for that. And this study backs up that the public supports it. Coming up in a moment, uh, we are going to talk about The election and how it's going and a new poll that talks about the legal troubles of the former president and how it might implement or how it might impact his run for president. We'll get to that in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 923 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, here comes our election update. We are gonna do the best we can to update you on the biggest things happening in the election cycle as it goes on. You can go to KTAR.com, go to our YouTube channel, subscribe there. We're gonna make sure we keep you informed. Uh Mike Noble, Noble Predictive Insights, uh, did a poll, and this is interesting, uh, surveyed a thousand, a little over a thousand, a thousand or two registered voters. In Arizona, which is interesting, that it is almost exactly split in thirds on the people's belief when it comes to Donald Trump and the legal challenges. 30% believe he's innocent on crimin- of criminal charges and the charges are politically motivated. 34% say the courts will determine whether he's guilty and 35% believe he's guilty and should be prosecuted. So that is a very, with a plus or minus of 3% within the margin of error, people believe this. Now, the reason why this is a, a big issue um, And not surprising, Democrats in huge numbers, 65 percent believe he's guilty. 34 percent of independents believe he's guilty and only 11 percent of Republicans. Now, what's interesting is the largest margin with independent voters says that it should be determined by the courts that they'll make their decision based on the court's decision. With my belief that it's independent voters that are going to decide this election like they always do, if Donald Trump is found guilty on some of these charges, how will that affect an independent's willingness to vote for him? And how much will their belief in the current president's ability to do four more years as president influence that? Um, I I just think it's it's an interesting, interesting thing. Both Trump and Biden won. Michigan, but both of them, they say there are some warning signs and, and that the voters in Michigan weren't necessarily, um, thrilled with either one of them, although they won fairly handily. It is by most people's accounts that Donald Trump has got this sewn up and so does Joe Biden. So when do we get on to the general election? Uh, super Tuesday is right around the corner. You know, Arizona has got its presidential preference election next month. And by the time we, and I say next month, it's just a couple of days away that we're already into March, but, um, Will the will it even matter? We had Stephen Richer on uh, the Maricopa County Recorder, and by the way, there's now a challenger in that race. An Arizona legislator named Justin Heap is challenging the Maricopa County Recorder in a primary, so uh, the county recorder could be primaried and lose that that seat. Um, and who knows if 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 the uh, the challenger would win the general, but he may. You know, there's going to be a primary challenge. But uh, we talked about the number of people on the ballot because presidential candidates rarely, I mean, rarely end their campaigns. They merely suspend them as a formality. Uh, Nine people will be on the ballot on the Republican side in the presidential preference election. Nine people. How many of those people will get votes? And I guess all of them will. But will they? They're obviously going to be protest votes because the candidates have dropped out of the race already. The reason why I bring all of this up is because voters know what their choices are going to be. And I I keep hammering this point, but it's, it's to me is such an odd time to be. When you look at polling, Democrats say they don't want Biden to run for another term. A lot of Republicans are saying they want a different choice than Donald Trump. Well, they have one in Nikki Haley, but they don't seem like that one is the one that they necessarily want. Or maybe it's not the people that are voting in the primary. I don't know. I don't know the answer. But the popularity of both of them as candidates with independent voters, the majority of independent voters say they would rather have two different choices than Donald Trump and Joe Biden. But we know that when push comes to shove, Republicans will vote for the Republican candidate and Democrats will vote for the Democrat candidate. That's just how it works. And the independent voters are going to tell the story. So how much of an issue will the legal problems now that that's not to say that there aren't problems on the other side with legal issues, Um, whether you like it or not, the Hunter Biden stuff, he's on Capitol Hill this morning testifying behind closed doors, giving a deposition. His legal issues are tied to his father. Whether you like it, whether I like it, whether anybody likes it, you connect that, and the family business has been called into question. What was the former or what is the current president's involvement? I was going to say the former vice president, but he's the president now. What was his involvement during his time as vice president? Was his influence peddled either with his permission and knowledge or without? Was his office compromised? Was he allowing his son to peddle influence by saying, I'm the son of the vice president with these Chinese companies and Russian companies. Is that going to become an issue? And it's important because if you're going to go after if they are going to and they'd be smart to go after the former president for his legal issues, even if there aren't convictions to go after Donald Trump's legal issues, if they're going to do that, they better have clean hands. And that's going to be a big part of this. In the end, do the American people, are the American people getting the best qualified candidates for president? And in the end, what will the next four years be like? Are we going to get four more years of our current president? Or are we going to get four more years of Donald Trump? Because both of them have that resume now. And so is their resume, uh, you know, there's a reason why the two of them are going to the border tomorrow. It is the number one issue with the American people. And hands down, Donald Trump wins on that issue, at least right now, hands down. Whether you like everything he did or you don't, he still wins on that issue. So we're going to see as this moves forward. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, we're going to shift to immigration. It's the number one issue with voters. We'll talk about why that is next.